This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. And open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Well, if you're a guest, uh, we're thankful, we're glad everybody's here, but we're especially glad if you're a guest. My name's Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just great to have you uh, worshiping with us this Christmas season, and we'd love to just have you back on Christmas Eve as well, uh, where we'll have a, uh, as Pete mentioned, we'll have a, a service at 6 o'clock, it'll be less than an hour, and uh, wonderful to be together. That's, uh, that's for a lot of folks, that's a highlight, a highlight service of the year for them. So let's pray, and then I want to look at something uh, from Matthew 1 regarding Christmas this year. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. Spirit, we thank you for opening our minds and our hearts to believe. And we simply ask for those who have yet to believe that you would open their minds and hearts today. We thank you for what this season means, that you have come on a rescue mission to grant new life and to conform us to your image and to assure us that one day we will be with you for eternity. We pray, Lord, as we look at your scripture this morning, that you would speak to us and you would encourage us and that you would comfort our hearts. Lord, do what only you can do and bring comfort to all, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I was struck reading these, uh, these words from a popular Christmas hymn this week. God, rest ye, Mary, gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. And that's not the scripture But that's the message of the scripture that reflects the truth of the scripture, that the message of Christmas is tidings, which is news. It is news of comfort and joy. And one of the real ironies of Christmas and the Christmas season is this, that those who need Christmas most are often those who struggle with Christmas most. Those who need Christmas most often struggle with Christmas most. For for many people, Christmas is not necessarily a time of great cheer, but a a time of loneliness. A time of loneliness, a time, an empty time, that's only made worse by looking around at the crowds of people who are experiencing Christmas joy, who are having a merry Christmas. And yet it is for those people that Christmas has come. It's tidings of comfort and joy for those who are lonely. It's tidings of comfort and joy for those who this Christmas will be grieving because at the table there will be an empty chair that's always been filled with a certain loved one who died in the past year and won't be there. Some of you will have that experience this Christmas. And yet, those who struggle with Christmas and want to get through it and want to just be guarded from the painful memories that will come... Christmas is for those people. 
That's the irony. Those who struggle most are often those who need Christmas the most. For some, Christmas is a time of hard memories, memories of a childhood, growing up with alcoholic parents, that Christmas was a time of drunkenness and anger. Christmas was a time of abuse. Christmas was a time when the festivities got out of hand and the family argued and there was, uh, everyone was on their last nerve, ready to explode. And so Christmas is a hard time, and yet it is for those people with memories of hurt that Christmas is most for. Christmas, for some, is a, is a time of difficulty, suffering in various ways. And yet Christmas is a time of comfort and joy. The coming of Jesus brings comfort to everyone who believes. It's a primary reason for his coming. He brings comfort to everyone who believes. And I want to talk a little bit about Christmas comfort today, tidings of comfort and joy. I'm going to take, talk some about Christmas joy on Christmas Eve. Uh, I'm going to talk about Christmas comfort today. The message of Christmas, the person of Jesus, comforts us. The word comfort means to soothe, to console, to reassure. That is a primary theme of Christmas, to reassure. This is a season to be reassured of the Savior's grace and love. It means to reassure. It means to bring cheer to. So comfort is to bring cheer. It is to reassure. It is to console. We might add it is to encourage. It is to strengthen. In a very real sense, it is to relieve. So when I use the word comfort, I'm not talking about spa treatments. Uh, I'm not talking about a foot massage. I'm not talking about a comfortable lifestyle with uh, heated electric seats, which is not a problem. Those are actually really nice. But I'm not talking about that kind of comfort. I'm talking about comfort for the soul, for the heart. And at Christmas time, we often look for these kind of reassurances, this cheer. We often look for these kinds of, uh, th- this warmth. We often look for this kind of consolation or reassurance. Maybe you look for it in, in family. Maybe you have a secure family environment. And so that's where warmth for your soul, that's where you're looking for warmth for your soul this Christmas, the secure feeling of being with family. Maybe it's the excitement of children around you. And so you're looking to that to bring joy and comfort this Christmas. Perhaps you're just looking for some time off work and you're just, man, I've just got a break or a break from school. You're on winter break from from your school and you are just excited about not having to do what you normally do. And maybe you're looking for that. Maybe you're looking for food. We even speak of comfort food. And if, as long as we're not substituting that food for God, there is a gift of food for feasting. Read about that in Ecclesiastes. This should be a time of feasting and experiencing the gifts of God through eating for sure. But all of those are just gifts that are never to be substituted for Christ, but are gifts of him that he gives us at this time. Ultimate comfort is not found through any tradition, holiday tradition, any memory, any family, anything like that. Ultimate comfort, we can receive those as gifts from God, but ultimate comfort comes through Jesus himself, the person of Jesus He is the one who brings comfort to all who believe. And the scripture we're going to read this morning tells us 
about Jesus and his mission, why he came. It tells us the purpose of Christmas, and it, 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 it's verses that bring us great rest, great reassurance, great joy when we believe and receive them. So let's read from uh, Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, as we consider who Jesus is, what he's done for us this Christmas season, why he came. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. A little bit of background before we get, I want to spend a little time looking at what the angel says Christmas is all about, but a little bit of the background first. Uh, this is the Christmas story told from Joseph's point of view. The Luke account is a little, a little bit more from Mary's point of view, but this is from Joseph's point of view. And what we learn here is that uh, this guy Joseph was betrothed, is the word, to Mary. And uh, betrothal was in, the, in this culture, in the Hebrew culture, it was... Uh, it was more than engagement in our culture, but it was less than marriage. So it was more than engagement in the fact that, that to be betrothed, you had to have legal witnesses sign that they observed your, your commitment, your vows of betrothal. Um, and it lasted for maybe a year or so. So it was like an engagement, um, and yet the couple lived in separate houses. They, they didn't live together. Uh, nor did they, uh, nor did they have sexual union because they weren't actually married. So at the end of the betrothal, there would be a formal wedding and then they would uh, consummate their marriage physically. And so th- this betrothal is legal, but yet it's not, they're not one as a couple yet, which is what the passage is talking about. So what happens is, because they have not been together, uh, Joseph finds out that, uh, verse 18, she was found to be with child. And Joseph was a good man. He was a godly man. Verse 19, a, being a just man, he was unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. So actually the penalty for, this was viewed as adultery, had she, uh, had she, um, had intercourse with someone during this time, it would, even though they weren't married, they were betrothed, it still would have been viewed as an adultery. And, uh, so, He was going to divorce her, thinking that she had committed adultery, because how else would she be pregnant? Thinking that she had committed adultery, he was going to divorce her, but he wasn't going to shame her. He wasn't going to, you know, highlight this. He was going to sort of do it quietly. Um, And yet what happened was an angel comes to visit him and tells him what's really going on. It's something he could never have imagined, that this is a pregnancy unlike any pregnancy, And this is a child unlike any child. The angel, verse 20, 
uh, as he's considering putting her, uh, divorcing her quietly, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do in a dream, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So she hasn't been with another man, but miraculously the Holy Spirit has conceived a child within her womb. And so there's a child. It's from the Holy Spirit. She will, verse 21, bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so he's saying that, hey, look, this is, this is nothing like you were imagining, Joseph. This is actually the work of God. See, Joseph was having, making a plan. He had a plan to sort of put her away. And God intervened and said, no, here's the real plan. And that, that happens to all of us in life. We kind of work out a plan. And then God intervenes and he's got another plan that we weren't thinking about. And that's what happens here exactly. And he tells him what he's going to name him. That when the boy is born, you're to name him Jesus. Now, Jesus was a common name. It, it, is, uh, it, it is the... Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. So when you see Joshua in the Old Testament, it's the same name as Jesus. And it means uh, that he saves, or the Lord saves. And so that's the meaning of the name. It's very common. A lot of kids were named that. So every time you'd call your kid, uh, you'd be announcing, hey, come in for dinner. You'd be announcing, hey, he saves, come in. Hey, the Lord saves, come in. You'd be sharing that name publicly, the God who saves. And so the point of this vision is to not only communicate to Joseph, don't divorce her because this is the work of God. She's done nothing wrong. This is the work of God. She is indeed a virgin. Um, Not only to announce that to him, but also to announce to him the nature of this child, what this child will do and, and who he is. And so we see those same those two things in this naming passage. So there's two things we see here. First of all, his name tells us what he does. When he names him, he's going to tell us this is what he's going to do. Uh, look at verse uh, 21 again. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this one is going to come, and he's going to bring. He's going to save. The word save means to deliver or to rescue. It doesn't mean like to store up. It's not saving like uh, saving money or something like that. It means to rescue, to deliver. That this Jesus is going to come and he's going to rescue like a firefighter would go into a burning building, grab a child and bring the child out. That's a rescue. That's a say. We'd say he saved the child. That's what it means. It's that kind of an idea, a saving, a rescuing. That's what his name means. And the people were longing for this kind of relief, this kind of comfort. The people of Israel were longing for this kind of deliverance because they were living under the rule of Rome. And so they were longing to be free. They were longing to govern uh, freely, to live freely, to have their own land where they could do whatever they wanted rather than to have a, a ultimately a governmental force that oversaw them. And so they were looking for a relief. They were looking for a political savior. They were looking for someone who would come in and who would be like King David, who would, uh, who would press Rome off of them, would defeat the Roman army and would free them, liberate them, save them, deliver them, rescue them to be a free people. But what he tells Joseph is that he's going to send a different kind of savior. He, his name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
He's going to bring a very different kind of saving. This, this baby that's going to be born, this unique pregnancy, this unique baby, is not going to come as a, uh, as a political savior. He's not going to come raising up a, um, an insurrection. He's not going to come in up and raise up an army to overthrow the government. He's actually going to deliver people from sin. The people in Israel assumed our greatest need is to be delivered from Roman oppression, but their greatest need was to be delivered from sin, to be freed there. And that, that is true of us as well. We all have things we think, if I could just get free of that, if I could just get that out of my life, if that could just be fixed, everything would be okay. And so we can sit here today and say, my greatest need this morning is to uh, get out of debt. If I didn't have debt hanging over me, I would be free. My greatest need this morning is to get a diagnosis for these symptoms and to get a solution and to get rid of this chronic illness or pain, whatever it is. Some of us can think that. My, My greatest need is if my marriage would just get fixed, if I could just have a good marriage or be free from this person who's making my marriage terrible... If I could just be free from this problem by a change, by our marriage change, then I would be okay. If I could just be free from this isolation, if I could have a spouse, if, if God would just bring a spouse into my life, everything would be okay. So we can often diagnose uh, some kind of need. If I could be free of this, life would be good. But our greatest need, those are real needs. Those may be real, very real circumstances that need to be dealt with. Uh, and real cries of our hearts in prayer, but they're they are never our greatest need. The greatest need for all of us is to have forgiveness of sins. The greatest need for every person in the room is to have a clean conscience because the sins in our life against God have been forgiven, wiped away, done away with, so that we have a clean slate in our soul before the Lord. That is the greatest comfort that we need. The greatest comfort is the comfort of a soul that is free and is forgiven and is new. And only Jesus brings that. He's coming to bring that kind of salvation. He's coming to bring that kind of forgiveness. See, the Bible teaches that God is holy and that we are not. We are all sinful. Uh, we all break God's law. As a matter of fact, Jesus made a profound statement in Matthew 5. He said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus came and said, the standard of conduct is not do your best. The standard of conduct is not be as nice as you can be, and we understand life is tough. The standard of conduct was perfection. He calls us to obey his word perfectly, which means... None of us do. We're all guilty. None of us have done that. None of us can do that. And so this is where the message of Christmas is so glorious. The the bad news is that because God is holy and we are sinful, we are under his judgment. That every one of us deserves God's judgment for we have sinned. And every one of us deserves to be separated from him in eternity when we die because of our many sins, because of our heart, uh, which is opposed to him. But God sent his son, Jesus, fully God, Jesus, fully God and fully man, to live a perfect life and then to die for us. So he comes at Christmas, but that's just the beginning of the stories in the Gospels. He, he also is crucified and he dies on our behalf. He, our sins are placed upon him. 
he is buried, and then on the third day he rises to new life, defeating the power, conquering sin, conquering death. And so the way that he saves from his sins is through dying as a substitute, paying the price that we deserve to pay, dying in our place, so that if we believe in him, our sins can all be forgiven. Past, present, and future sins. And our heart, it, we're given a new heart. And, and we are given a new relationship with God. And we are given eternal life, the promise that we'll live forever with him. That, that is the glory of Christmas, is that Jesus comes as the one who will deliver, which he does by living a perfect life, dying, being raised, and ascending to the right hand of the Father. So the way we receive this deliverance, the way we receive this freedom that he comes to believe, bring, the way that we receive this eternal comfort of our soul is to believe in him, to turn from our sin and to say, I can never be good enough. Uh, ultimately, I can never be good enough to be right with a holy God. So I receive the gift of Jesus and what he did. I believe in him and I trust him to forgive all of my sins. So we, we want to never grow familiar with that message. That's the message of Christmas. That's why the angel says his name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He comes to save from the penalty of our sins. And he will return with a new heavens and a new earth, and he will rule and reign as the king that Israel hoped for, the king who will reign over a perfect kingdom for all who all who have known him, met him, been forgiven by him in this life. So his name tells us what he does. He comes to save from sin. Secondly, his name tells us who he is. Because the angel goes on, not only will he save his people from their sins, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. So this tells us who he is. The angel tells Joseph not only what the son will do, but he tells us who the son is. He's God. The one that is in Mary's womb is God. Become a man. And God has come to be with us. So his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, the word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel, means just as the text tells us there, it means God with us. And so it was a prophecy from Isaiah 7 in the Old Testament that said God would be with us. He would send one, God with us. And, and he is telling Joseph, that one has now come. And that one is in Mary's uh, womb. And this is perhaps the most astounding truth of Christmas, that Jesus coming is God with us. He's not just a great teacher, a great leader, a sacrificial, loving person who laid down his life as a martyr to sacrifice and protect others. The Bible doesn't tell us he's just that, like a human, a really great teacher, philosopher, healer, religious person. The Bible doesn't tell us that's who he is. The Bible tells us that he's certainly all that, but that he is God as well. Fully God and fully man. That's what the Bible tells us, that when Jesus comes, it means that God has come to earth. And so if you read the Gospels, we find out what God is like by looking at Jesus. How does God view people? Look at Jesus. You'll see the love of God. You'll see the judgment of God against sinners as well. And, and so, so we see, what is God like? Look at Jesus, because Jesus is God with us. And Matthew starts his gospel with this truth. Jesus has come, he's God with us. 
And Matthew will close his gospel with the same truth. At the end of Matthew, there's the Great Commission, which says, go into all the world and to, that we are to make disciples of all nations. And he says at the end there, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus says. So this is a big theme in the book. That he, the book of Matthew starts with Emmanuel, God with us. And it closes with Jesus saying, go tell everybody this good news and I am always with you. It is all about God with us. And the truth of scripture is that after Jesus dies and is resurrected, he pours out his spirit. He gives his Holy Spirit so that those who believe in him, his presence, his spirit lives in us. So the rest of the New Testament teaches not only God with us, God among us, but God in us, God dwelling in us by his spirit. So this is a major point that God has come to us. Most religions in the world are man seeking to do good deeds to please the gods or to please a God, to offer sacrifices, to win the favor and the blessing of the gods, to obey and to do certain things so that a particular God or the gods will shine on us, smile on us, provide for us, do what we want them to do even sometimes. But the message of Christianity is that God came to us in Jesus, that God became man and came to us, and he did that to give us new life. And those who believe, he is now eternally with us, and he dwells in us. Emmanuel is a title which means, as the text says, God with us. No matter what you're going through today, there is no greater assurance comfort, peace, consolation, relief than this. God has forgiven you from your, for your sins if you believe in him. God has forgiven you and God is with you. He's forgiven you. He doesn't just forgive you of your sins and say, see you in heaven. No, he is with us and in us. And no matter what we are facing today, this, this promise, this title, Emmanuel, means everything to us. That God is is with us, speaking to us through his scripture, strengthening us, encouraging us, directing us, healing us, discipling us, caring for us, disciplining us, comforting us. That God is with us. That is the message of Christmas, that, that God's not out there somewhere, that we're to live a certain level of a life, obedient enough so that God will be okay with us. No, God has come to us and has made the way that we can know him and we can receive him. If you've never received Christ, I would encourage you today to believe, to receive what he has done for you in Jesus, to believe that he's the one who forgives of sins and that he is with you. And if you have believed today, then you have the assurance, and I have the assurance, that he's with us. He's with us. And that, that's really good news. For the person who is battling some of the things I was talking about at the beginning, for the person who is battling loneliness, this is the ultimate answer. God with us. And I don't say that trite in a trite manner, but it is just the truth. There is no lasting answer for loneliness. There can be a lot of short-term fixes, but there's no answer, lasting answer, besides God with us. 
So maybe you're single and you long to be married, and Christmas is a reminder as you see family celebrating, as you gather with your family. One more year, Grandma will ask, have you met a nice young man or something like this? One more year, the insensitivity will be out there, and, uh, and you face that, that ache. You don't even, even want to face the questions. And you're lonely. The, the, the hope there is God with you. Maybe you are married and you are lonely. Marriage is no guarantee that the loneliness is gone. Some married people would say they feel the ache of loneliness greater now than when they were single. Because now at least you expect companionship and you don't have that. You feel distant. That, that can be an ache. And... If that's you, we'd love to help you, pray for you, provide support and counseling and do anything we could for your marriage. But the reality is that God with you is your ultimate hope. God with you. Emmanuel. Maybe you're experiencing broken relationships. Rob talked about this last week in his sermon and said sometimes Christmas is a reminder that the the relationships with the family and friends aren't so great. And if you're experiencing that, broken relationships especially as you gather with family, the relational challenges. There can be temptations to unforgiveness, self-righteousness, bitterness, self-pity, woe is me, pride, all these kinds of things. The, The good news to you, good news to me in that situation, is that God is with us. God's bringing comfort. God is alongside us. God is speaking to us through the Scripture. God will work all those difficulties for our good. God wants to bring hope and encouragement. God wants to bring self-control to our tongue by his spirit within us. And not only, God only, know, not only wants to bring self-control so that we don't say the wrong things, God wants to bring life to our tongue so we speak gracious, true, loving things. God with us makes that possible. The Spirit conforming us to the image of Christ gives us the desire and the power to obey the Scripture in the most difficult circumstances. And God with us forgives us when we blow it. His mercies are new every morning. He's with us when we have difficulty with our resources. If you are unemployed or if you are underemployed or if you are digging out of financial Uh, difficulty, (coughs) the truth is that God is with you when your resources are limited. God is with me when resources are limited. God is our provider. God is the one who provides. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to provide for us. Ultimately, salvation. But he provides all things. If he gave, the Bible says, if he gave his son, if God the Father gave his son, will he not along with him graciously give us all things, all that we need, to live for him and to glorify him. Maybe you are discouraged because you're facing another Christmas and there is, again, a pain in your body. You are suffering physically or there's an ache in your soul. Emmanuel has come to comfort. That is to strengthen, to relieve, to grant us strength to persevere through the difficulty or to take away the difficulty. He does both. But what he certainly doesn't do is leave us on our own and forsake us. That's what he never does. He sustains and encourages and strengthens us. Maybe you're challenged with temptation this Christmas or suffering in some other way. God has come to us 
in Christ, and he is with us. This is the message of Christmas, that God has sent a son to forgive us, to deliver us, to free us from our sins, that he has adopted us as a father to make us his own children, and that he is with us forever. He is with us to be present with us, to speak to us through the scripture, to sustain us through the strength of his people, his church, which we are a part of, gathering around us to help us and strengthen us. He sends burden bearers into our lives to help carry our load. He gives us his presence and his spirit He gives us new mercies every morning. He strengthens the weak. He's present to help the broken. He's present to encourage the discouraged. He's present to reconcile the conflicted. He's present to give hope in the darkness. He's present for those who are in all these situations and a thousand others. See, those who need Christmas most often miss it. Because we, we, we distance ourselves. We, we put, it, put everything at arm's length and protect and guard our hearts during the difficulty of this season. And don't really enter in and just sort of try to make it through gritting our teeth. And just sort of dread this or dread that. And yet Christ has come to be with us and that is comfort. That is strength. That is consolation. Receive his comfort. Receive him this Christmas. If you've never believed, God wants you, I can tell you this for sure, God wants you to receive Jesus this Christmas, to open your heart, open your mind, and to turn from your sin, which you're under God's judgment for, and to receive forgiveness in Jesus and to receive new life. And if you are a believer, the word's the same. We are to receive him afresh. We are to welcome him. We are to submit to him. We are to joyfully acknowledge, affirm, believe his presence with us. And we are to ask him to shape us and to walk us through these coming days with joy, with his peace, with his presence, with tidings of comfort and joy. That's what it means that he came to save his people from his sins and that Emmanuel... God is with us. May that be the reality for all of us this season. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.